Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. This is episode 312 of Alohomora for January 2nd, 2021. We finally made it out of 2020. Woo! Welcome to another episode of Alohomora, MuggleNet.com's in-depth exploration of the Harry Potter series. I'm Tracy Dunstan. I'm Kat Miller. And I'm Katie Carty Hiley. And I'd like to introduce our guest for this episode, Claire. Is it Mesa? How do you say your last name? Masa, but I answered all of it. (laughs) (laughs) I never want to say someone's name incorrectly. So Claire Masa, welcome. Thank you. Tell us a bit about yourself, uh, like how long you've been a Potter fan, how you got into it, what house you're in, whatever you want to say. Okay. Um, I have been a Potter fan since 1999. Um, I picked up my first book um, during my senior year of high school, and um, I started reading it, and that that was it for me. I was actually pregnant my senior year of high school, and so I didn't really have... There was a lot going on, and it was just a wonderful book that helped me to like, kind of uh, disassociate from what was uh, currently going on and just have this wonderful magical world that I could forget about for a little bit as I, you know, waddled through my school. And ever since then, it's just been like a huge, it's been a huge thing for our family. We've, I've, you know, gone to all the releases and I love it. My kids don't love it as much as I do, but you know, that's okay. I'll, I'll keep them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a Hufflepuff. I took the quiz when Pottermore first came out, and I refuse to take it again. Um, uh, my wand is maple. It's ten and a half, uh, ten and a half inches, uni- unicorn hair core, slightly yielding, um, and I feel like it. Uh, it's a pretty good indicator 
of me, independent mind, ambitious, um, complex. Uh, my Patronus is a red squirrel. Oh, and, that was a good um, Yeah. Squirrels are really cute. I do too. It's true. <laughs> yeah. We have no red squirrels here, but you know, it's pretty exciting. And uh, they kind of remind me of, uh, badgers as well because they, you know, they're very, uh, calm and, and, but you know, you mess with them and all of a sudden they're going to freak out and, you know, they'll, they'll get you. So, yep. Did you just call squirrels calm? Well, we have Louisiana squirrels. Our, our Louisiana squirrels are fat, and they just they laze around, and they don't really do much here. And it's so hot down there. It is. It is. Even today, it's kind of hot outside, and they're just like, yeah, no, I'm, my dog will, you know, go outside and chase the squirrel, and it'll just sit there like until it sees the whites of the dog's eyes, and then, yeah. It's adorable. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, troublemakers. Jeez. They are, but they're adorable. They get away with it. Well, we are super glad to have you on with us today as we are going to be doing a chapter revisit from Deathly Hallows, chapter number 20, Xenophilius Lovegood. Uh, the trio visits Xenophilius on the 28th of December, so we're just past the anniversary of that event taking place when this episode comes out. We always recommend that you read that chapter before listening, just so it's fresh in your mind. And if you want to go the extra mile, the previous episode done on this chapter was number 170 from December 26th, 2015 with Rosie. Oh my God, that was so long ago. (laughs) Five years ago. Oh, crazy. <laughs> Love it. I was on that too, wasn't I? You were. Yeah, I just listened to it this morning, actually. <gasps> was it good? It was. <laughs> good. I barely have time to think these days, never mind listen to uh, old episodes, so I'm jealous you had a chance to do that. <laughs> it was nice. It was good. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but everyone out there, you know the deal. Next thing we're going to do here is we're going to thank our episode sponsor. Whoop, whoop. And today, our episode is sponsored by Janine Lang. That's all around for Janine. Whoop, whoop. We love you. Thank you for your support. Thank you so, 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 so much. And all of you out there listening, if you want to become a sponsor, you can do so for as little as just $1 a month. And as always, we are working on tons of great time content. We release all sorts of things with every episode. And don't forget, you can also get Full Circle now, which is like a whole other podcast within a podcast. So there's lots of good stuff over on our Patreon. And to visit that, you can head over to patreon.com backslash Alohomora and find out all the deets. 2021 has lots of fun stuff coming too. So now's the perfect time to sign up. Just saying. Perfect time. And now uh, shout out Maxima from episode 310, which I believe was um, Chamber of Secrets, the Dueling Club. Yes. And the one I picked out was Griffin Prefect. They were all really good comments, but this, um, this one stood out the most to me. This person says, there was some discussion about the rest of the school not suspecting Draco as the heir of Slytherin. This tells you more about what the school thinks of Draco than, what, than it does anything else. Regardless of what we see from the Slytherins, Draco is not well liked or respected. If he was viewed as an accomplished wizard, as he views himself, then maybe he would have gotten some credit. I thought it was interesting because I never really thought of it this way. And then I found a MuggleNet article that talks about the six reasons why Draco's actually really smart. So I kind of disagree with the point that he's not an accomplished wizard. Because even in that chapter, um, and I mentioned it also in the previous episode about this, that he um, uses a spell that's pretty advanced for his age. Mm-hmm. But I do think... It's a good point that he's probably not well liked. I never really thought of the characters in 
I guess because of Puffs, I kind of, in that sort of way, where you see how the other characters outside of what we're reading think of the characters. And I bet he probably is, obviously isn't really real liked. So I thought that was a good point. Yeah. But in the same vein, I was kind of thinking, why would that matter if you're being, if you're well liked or well respected? It's genetics to be there, Slytherin. So why would that really matter? But I thought it was a good point. So thank you, Griffin Prefect. See, I have a, I, I, I feel like maybe, he, oh no, I, I kind of got to stand up for my boy there. I think, <laughs> see, I, I okay. So I don't think that he wasn't especially well-liked or respected. Um, I I don't particularly, like, I don't, it could be me. And uh, I don't remember reading a lot where it says specifically that other parts or, or other Slytherins or other Hufflepuffs or uh, Ravenclaws or whatever specifically didn't like him. I, I, as far as I remember, it was mainly just the trio and then, like, the... Um, the gang around the trio and they're, you know, because that's just kind of what we hear. But I mean, if you think about it, uh, Draco was a very charismatic, charming and intelligent guy. And he kind of has to be that way. That's sort of the way his dad has groomed him because his dad is in the public eye and he's living under the shadow of Lucius. So, you know, when you've got a father like that, you kind of learn how to how to be that? So I'm sure he, he kind of reminds me of like Eddie Haskell. You guys remember Leave It to Beaver? Oh wow! That I feel like <laughs> I feel like yeah, I feel like Draco would have he could have been like an Eddie Haskell. Yeah, but he had the the inner workings knew that he was a you know a little git, <laughs> but I feel like if his other instructors or the professors or or other people really really didn't you know get Draco then or or enjoy him I feel like he would have had more problems than we see in the book I mean he um he would have been fighting it's not just the trio that he was up against it would have been you know uh negativity coming from the Ravenclaws or you cross this person and so now you know we hate you and but we never really see that or I don't remember reading those things. Yeah. Other than the trio and the group surrounding the trio, I don't recall ever hearing or reading that, you know, Draco wasn't liked or respected. And I think a lot of that probably has to do with the way his dad raised him and to be raising a son that's also going to be in the public eye someday, hopefully, as well. That makes me think about the whole, like, pure blood aspect of Slytherin House and how a lot of the people in that house are... Yeah, that, that that that's important to them um yeah so i feel like even if he's not like great friends necessarily with some of the older slytherin students they probably at least respect his family name so they wouldn't treat him like just any old first year they'd be like oh he's right. a malfoy we have to treat him with some form of respect or they may have even met at events you know before school started between these families that are all very um, pure blood um, mm -hmm. activists, I guess you could say. Uh, not the word I would choose, but I get it. Yeah, not the right saying. word. But and you yeah. would think probably a lot of their families would tell them, you know, this is Draco Malfoy. You know, this is a very important guy. We need to, you need to, you know, form an attachment, make friends with him. You know, mm -hmm. he's someone you want to want to have in your corner that's what i would probably think a lot of those parents would have been telling their kids yeah but they respect harry a lot it seems like the rest of the school so you'd think yeah. since he's always bullying harry and people around harry that they would probably not like him because he's kind of he's 
a bully. I'm wondering how Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff feel about him. I know Slytherin definitely probably respect him, like you said, Katie, but I don't know. I feel like the other house is probably, I think they probably just think he's just a mean bully. Hmm. Well, and I, I mean, that begs the question, too, is how much time do the other houses spend with Slytherin House? Hmm. Um, you know, because we really only ever see Gryffindors really interacting with the Slytherins. But I assume that when they have classes, they must rotate which house they have those classes with. They can't all have the same classes with the same people. Mm-hmm. Right? True. So how much exposure do other people have to Draco? We, I don't know if we know. But... Hmm. But I would argue that he is incredibly smart, actually. Uh, he gets pretty good grades, uh, good marks, and yeah. he's rich. Opportunity <laughs> breeds yeah. smart people. It's just the way it works. Yeah. So, although there are a crap ton of dumb rich people, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> For the most part, rich people are smart. He probably had some sort of primary school um, education. Oh, of where course. Probably most other wizards did not. It was probably the best that his family could afford as well. Of course. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I don't think he's a I never got the impression that Draco was not an intelligent wizard or just as a person himself. I have a feeling that he's pretty he's pretty smart. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Well, cool. Thanks for the comment, Griffin Prefect. We Isn't that Josh? It I feel is. like we should just call him his name. What's up, Josh? Good comment. <laughs> what up, man? <laughs> he was just on our last episode, so. <laughs> yeah, he's all over this show. We love you. Yep. <laughs> he's great. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Three turns should do it. Chapter Revisit. Chapter 
chapter 20. Xenophilius Lovegood. So Ron is back, but he's not out of Hermione's doghouse. Ron covertly updates Harry about what's going on in the wider wizarding world when Hermione isn't around, though she seems to hear it all anyway. Harry gets a replacement wand, but it resists him at every turn. Hermione decides that they should visit Xenophilius Lovegood since he was wearing the mysterious symbol from Beetle the Bard at Bill and Fleur's wedding. Doesn't take them long to find the wacky house that Luna grew up in and gain entrance, but their welcome is not as warm as expected, and both horrific and comical items greet them inside. At the very end, we find out what the mysterious symbol is called, and then... Cliffhanger! <laughs> so this is one of those chapters that it totally ends on a cliffhanger, and we're just like, but, but, I want more! <laughs> That's why you just keep reading. Exactly. <laughs> to be clear. Also, before we start this, I want to say, I, so I haven't been on regular Alohomora since mid-October. So for me, it's been almost three months since I have recorded this show. Mm -hmm. I could not pull myself out of listening to this chapter thinking about the rings. I could not pull myself out of it. I put no <laughs> notes in the document here because I was like, I you gotta save it. Don't actually know right to write down. Um, I feel really out of practice and super out of place here. Super awkward. So I'm just gonna preface that. Apologies in advance uh, if this is a hot mess because I don't know what I'm doing on this show anymore. <laughs> hey, that's like you just you just pretty much summed me up too. So I have no half the time I have no idea what I'm doing either, and I'm totally awkward. So right. Acceptable yeah. for you as the guest, as the <laughs> co-creator and producer of this show for eight years, less acceptable. <laughs> but I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Claire. You made me feel better about myself. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, me and Tracy can get this started, and I'm sure y'all will have lots to say as we do. Um, my first question when I first started reading this chapter is, why do we think Harry is able to forgive Ron so much more easily than Hermione? Because she's in love with him and Harry's not in love with him. Yeah, I do think that's part of it. Yeah, I just think Ron and Harry just get each other. And Harry has so many issues with people leaving him that the fact that Ron came back, I think, is what negates all his anger from before. And I think I'm kind of curious how Harry would respond if Ginny had done the same thing. Because... Hmm. Since they're, yeah. But one point I saw that he kept making the spider bigger, knowing that he says he doesn't know that Ron was afraid of spiders, but I feel like it was such a big part of the second book. <laughs> I wonder if that was maybe intentional. Crazy. He knew very well. Yeah, I think he's probably trolling a little bit there. Probably <laughs> not wrong. Probably not wrong. I think it's funny that you brought up Jenny because I... She has a massive temper, but she would never leave. I truly, honestly believe she would never leave. And I just, I, yeah, I just can't see that happening at all. Yeah, that's quite a thought experiment. That would take me a while to go down, but I like it. I like the idea. Do you think Harry would ever leave Jenny? No. Yeah, I don't think nah. so either. I mean, he technically isn't with her at the moment, mm -hmm. but even in this chapter, he's like, I'm closer to her than I've ever been. 
And is it this chapter? And I forgot about it where he's like, maybe she can think about, like, she knows that I'm thinking about her. No, that's when he's laying down looking at the Marauder's map, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but he does when look, he like thinks his thoughts. Yeah. He does look toward the burrow and think of her being there and how they are so close, but he can't see her and all that mm-hmm. in this chapter, too. Oh, yeah. Um, but honestly, I think for Hermione, it just comes from a place of love, like I said. And also, she's so disappointed in him. Hermione. This is a part of Hermione's personality that I relate to big time because I hold the people in my life sometimes to impossibly high standards. And when they disappoint me, I feel like sometimes there's just no way for me to look past that or forgive them. And I feel like that's part of what Hermione is doing here. She holds Ron because she loves him and cares about him and wants him to be all that he can be she's holding him to this standard putting him on a sort of pedestal and when he disappoints her she's just so angry not only at him but at herself for putting him there and you know there's even a quote from these books that say it's harder to forgive somebody uh when they're right than when they're wrong I'm misquoting it, of course. But my point here is I think Hermione is not only disappointed in Ron, but maybe in herself a little bit for uh, putting him there in the first place, setting those expectations onto him, I guess, knowing who he is. Hmm. Never thought of that before. I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah, I could yeah. see that. See, you are good at this, cat. Shut up. Uh- <laughs> I'm, I mean, I didn't say I wasn't good at it. <laughs> <laughs> There's my humble... Slytherin coming out. (laughs) Love it. I appreciate it. I way overthought that question. I yeah, I was so often left filled. We were talking. It says, "Why do we think Harry is able to forgive Ron so much more easily than Hermione?" That yeah, I was whoa. Okay, so you know, start. Oh yeah, I we were talking. My little scrawls over here were. Well, tell us what you think. Every answer is valid. Yeah. What did you say? Okay. Well, I'm just gonna read it because. If I try to talk it, I'll save like a whole bunch. Um, Harry and Ron are two teenage boys, obviously, who are going through what at that time was a most difficult and horrifying, not to mention testing physically and emotionally time of their lives. So they're and they're also both experiencing the first pangs of love, as it were, and loss. They had they just kind of had that bond where they they completed each other both romantically, but that you know they weren't able to express that. And so when Ron leaves, that's, it's, it, would, it would be very difficult to be in a, a situation like that with Hermione. Um, you know, obviously they're all very, very, very best, good best friends. But I also think that it was probably a lot of that, um, there's a lot of sexual tension between those guys when they're out like this, you know, either the first time they're really out without, you know, any kind of uh, super, not supervision, but uh, parameters. They're doing everything on their own. They're coming up with things on the fly, and they are at this certain age where they're all experiencing not just all this crazy thing that's happening, you know, in the wizarding world, but there, there's love happening. And oh my gosh, is this really what I'm feeling? And is this love? Sorry. Um, <laughs> and so, please sing at any time. That is perfectly okay on this podcast. <laughs> So even though, you know, they're all going through this, Harry has that Ron, Ron and Harry, like they're going through that together. And even though they don't, you know, consciously talk to each other about that sort of 
interesting sort of crazy emotion that they're experiencing together, they're both each other's rock right then. Mm. And then when Ron leaves, not only is Harry like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen now? And then Hermione's insane, crazy. Then there's also, wait a minute, Hermione and I are alone together. We know we, you know, we love each other. We're like brother and sister, but we're living in close quarters. And it kind of makes me think of, um, if you're familiar with the military, when you've got soldiers that are overseas and they're in, you know, enemy territory, close quarters, male and female, and the tensions are high. And that means hormones are fluctuating mm-hmm. and it could be very uh, difficult situation for, you know, adults to be in, let alone pubescent children. Um, see, I'm thinking more like way, way more into that. Whereas, you know, Harry would have been so glad to have Ron back because he wasn't the only one now. And Hermione is just poor. Hermione is all by her lonesome. And yeah, I don't know. That's great. That <laughs> that was yeah. That was way over. That's not that, over yeah. anything. Yeah, the thing about this show, the reason we we like having diverse guests on, is that there's always somebody out there listening who will think the way that you're thinking. So that's it was important to say, and I think you're totally right. You know, mm-hmm. there's no one way to interpret anything in these novels. Yeah. My simplified, I didn't make notes. I was just going to tell y'all what I thought after y'all did. Um, My simplified version was just, well, Ron did just save his life. um, And he was a bit more willing to just look past the past when his life had just been saved. (laughs) Um, And plus, they went straight from that to destroying the Horcrux. And Harry witnessed all of the horrible things that the Horcrux said to Ron and understood much better where he had been coming from all along and these feelings he had been having that Harry just had no idea about previously. Um, So they went through this pretty big thing together. And I think they were just, as soon as that was done, they were like, okay, we're good. (laughs) Like, no more needs to be said. (laughs) Yeah. And I think guys are more apt to subtle arguments or um, estrangements that way. Like they go through a thing, the thing is done, pat themselves on the back and then move on. They don't get necessarily sappy. And I mean, some do, and there's nothing wrong with with men who do um, or boys or whatever. Um, But generally when we're talking about what we see in media, it's the you know, bro pat on the back and, okay, (laughs) on to the next thing. (laughs) Because they're uncomfortable with their feelings. I think that that type of relationship comes from just a certain type of closeness. Ron and Harry are brothers. They're not friends. They're brothers, right? And they're that comes with a certain type of closeness. I mean, I have several friends, Allison being one of them, that – you know, we've never had a major argument where she's stormed out while we were camping on a hunt for Horcruxes. But my point <laughs> is that um, sometimes you just sort of take a day or two and then you come back and you're like, hey, that happened. We're like, yeah, that happened. We're like, all right, cool. So what's up? You know, yeah. and I think I think that just comes from a certain type of closeness and relationship and also mutual respect for each other. Granted, Ron is insanely jealous of Harry, mm-hmm. but he tries really hard to to hide that. And I think now that Hermione, um, sorry, now that Harry knows 
where those feelings sort of stem from, there's a new level of understanding there and they just sort of forget about it and move on. Yeah. yeah. I think in that kind of level of friendship too, there's a certain trust there that no matter how many bad crap you do, like you said, if you just take a couple of days and talk it out, it'll eventually will be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Friendship only has drama when you're not a good fit for each other. Ooh. It's just true. And the best relationships are the ones where you disagree and you come together and you solve it and you move on. But if you have continued drama with somebody, they're probably not going to be your friend for a very long time. Yeah. I'm writing that down. That's a good point. I mean, it just means you're not a good fit for each other. Yeah. Right? I mean, people come and go all the time. I lost two friends this year. One of them I thought would be in my life forever. And the other person has left my life three other times before this. And you know, for whatever reason. So, I mean, that's, it's just, it's just a thing. Yeah. It's okay. I'm glad they came back together and I'm glad that Harry was able to forgive Ron so freely, but Ron and Hermione don't have that level of trust, uh, or love with each other, not on the familial level. Mm -hmm. I mean, thankfully so, because (laughs) they get married and have babies. (laughs) So (laughs) that would be awkward. (laughs) Right. And with, in that, that's a different kind of trust plus yes. like the loving trust you know your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever they can always break up with you or you get divorced or whatever i feel like friends are mo- like if it's a good friend they're for life so i think there's that level of like i can't lose that person mm-hmm. yeah for sure very Definitely. good point um the next thing i made a note of was and i had just forgotten this that the death eaters nearly got kingsley because of the taboo that got put on voldemort's name so for one, like, whoa, that they almost got Kingsley because he is a badass. So that must have been some actual death. And it did say Death Eaters. It didn't say Snatchers because he would have dispensed with Snatchers in two seconds flat. Um, but I'm I'm kind of curious which Death Eaters tried to take him down. I don't think we'll ever find out specifically, but uh, that that was just interesting. It was something I hadn't picked up on before. But also I'm wondering, is the Muggle Prime Minister now just on their own because kingsley was like their bodyguard uh so to speak from the wizarding goings on um and i can't imagine a meeting between the imperious new minister for magic and the muggle prime minister (laughs) (laughs) so i'm guessing that the muggle prime minister just has no idea what's going on after um what's his name uh Scrimger. scrimger thank you after he is killed um, unless Fudge keeps him up to date, I was gonna say, what about Fudge? I mean, because we know that he's sort of like quote special counsel or whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. a liaison. I guess the Muggles are just floating in space. They have no idea, <laughs> or 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 maybe maybe they're being fed super disinformation. True, could be. You know, if you think about it, like the the military, think about it. Um politically in the military. Uh, so Kingsley would have been the, the, you know, the guy who was protecting the and taking care of um, the Mughal prime minister. I would think that he would have set up some sort of provisions for in the event something were to happen to him mm-hmm. um, or in the event something were to happen to the wizarding prime minister. Think about it, uh, like as far as logistically and military speaking, he's got to have some kind of backup that's going to be able to feed the uh, the Mughal Prime Minister 
the important information that he, I guess he needs to know. There's not everything that he needs to know, but there, there had to be some kind of fallback. I, I can't imagine Kingsley as, as far as being in the, the order as well. I can't imagine them just leaving Kingsley as, you know, what if something happened to Kingsley? What happens then? So there has to be some kind of a fallback. We may never know what it is, but I don't think they would have left them just hanging on, you know, like, oh, what do we do now? Or, or you know, yeah. there had to, there has to have been some kind of... Right, like chain of succession. Yes, right. yes. One that would have been able to be proven to be not imperialist or somebody from the order. I'm, I'm not sure. That's a really good point. I take that as my headcanon now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she's probably, I mean, you're definitely not wrong, but once the, once Pius is in there and he is, um, you know, imperialist, then what? I mean, you can't trust the information coming from the Ministry of Magic. Mm. But I would also imagine so, they wouldn't want anything to do with muggles at that point. That's entirely possible, too, for sure. Yeah. Why would they give a crap yeah. about giving them any information? That's true. That's <laughs> true. I like mm -hmm. the, the military <laughs> the comparison you made. Yeah. Comparison. The comparison <laughs> you made between military and this, because I, yeah, I'm reading a sci-fi series right now that is also military-based and... I'm learning. It's so funny. I'm reading it for the sci-fi aspect, but I'm learning so much about the military than I ever knew before. And it's really fascinating. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's from 20 years of being an army wife and my husband having so many different, you know, um, jobs in the army. Like currently he's working, I can't tell you, never mind. Um, so he's doing, he's, he's doing very interesting things that he's never done before. And so one of the things that we talk about is how, um, there's always, always a backup to the backup to the backup. You know, if you're in a position where something is compromised or someone is compromised, there are always 15 backups. And then there's that one extra backup when the 15th is, you know, out mm -hmm. of the, and I don't think, you know, the, the, I feel like the, the wizarding ministry they would have continued to have more and more ways that they would not have just left them the, the, the muggle muggle world at that point, just off to fend for themselves. I mean, because after this is all said and done, how would that, you know, as far as uh, political relations and liaisons that would, you know, there would be so much damage there that just would not be able to be repaired. There just had to have been, I can't imagine such intelligent people like Kingsley and, and the order and not necessarily the ministry, but like the order and Dumbledore. And I can't imagine them just not having a backup to the backup to the backup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah makes sense. Totally agree. I just wonder who it is. Yeah. Me too. I'll we'll have to ask our friends over here at Accio-Politics. They probably have an idea. <laughs> what? <laughs> nice plug. There's I like so it. There's so much in this community that I've no Accio-Politics. Yeah, yep. they're incredible. Definitely give them a listen. Yeah. They just had Chris Rankin on the show too. So really? They really <gasps> yeah, they did oh a really good Percy uh, episode with Chris. That was my favorite episode. Oh man, yeah. I, I, he's I have my favorite characters are the most obscure, but he is one of my Percy is one of my favorite characters, along with Xenophilius and you know Minor kind of and Draco. Totally not because, you know. So, like, like all the characters? <laughs> oh, gosh, no. No, 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 no. Like, I'm not, I'm not a Harry fan. I'm not a Jenny fan. I'm not a Hermione fan. 
you know, just like, you know, weird ones like me. So <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I figure since we're on the topic of Percy, um, we should get to some points about Ron here, right? Yeah, Tracy has some good ones in this doc. Well, one thing I noticed was that I thought it was weird that Ron didn't tell him about the trace right away. I think that'd be the first thing he'd say, just so that he wouldn't say the word by accident. Mm -hmm. And there's no real... I know Hermione's in the tent and she's kind of listening, but did they actually tell Hermione about the trace at this at some point? I mean, I mean, they must, but it's weird that they don't clearly have them tell her that what's going on. Yeah. Um, I feel like Hermione's probably listening well enough to know. Is she... Mm, is she far away from them? I think she was in the back, but they were pretending to look for blackberries or something, and then they think they went off. On right, their own. so they must have told her. Because yeah, she's not the one that messes up in the end. Maybe. It's Harry. <laughs> True. <laughs> right. Maybe she just mm, no, because she definitely says Voldemort. So, hmm. but isn't he the one that says it when the Snatchers get them? Yeah, he is. No, no. Yeah. I mean that Hermione does say the name. She doesn't say you know who. That's what I mean. She does say Voldemort. Oh, when? No, I mean, like, in general. Like, in oh, life, yeah, yeah. Hermione says Voldemort. Cause, oh, right. Because Harry even notes that it calmed him down to hear her say the name. I think that was all the way back in order. So, um, yeah. But why doesn't Ron tell them right away? You uh, would think that would be one of the first things out of his mouth. Well, he said, like, how did you know? Assuming that they did because they hadn't invoked it yet. So I guess he just assumed oh, they, right. they knew because they had, as Harry said, like gotten into the bad habit of just saying, you know who, and he almost says it. <laughs> Ron like throws him into the blackberry bush. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's why he didn't say it right away. But I'm glad that it came up. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. I was surprised how much I really liked Ron in this chapter. I mean, I like Ron in general, but... I think when I read the first the book the first time, I put it down when he left, and it was so bad. And then this time reading it again, I was kind of like, oh, you know, he's, this wasn't so bad. I, I like Ron. I Wait, this isn't the second time you've read this book? No, no. But okay, it's been it was a while like since Tracy. I've read it. No. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a good while, though. <laughs> Even though it's my favorite one. Yeah, fair. It's been a long time since I've read Hallows. My rereads always tend to, like, I start them, and then I trail off and start doing something else. And then I'm like, I'm going to start again. And so I've read the first, like, three and a half books 50 times and the last <laughs> probably a dozen or so. But, you know, yeah, yeah. I understand. Well, my sister was talking about how she was trying to think of how she thought of the characters when she first read it and not just what she thinks of it now based on everything. So it just made me think of what I thought of Ron the first time. Mm -hmm. Ron's one of my favorites along with Dobby. So yeah. I'm all in for Ron. Same. Oh. And he is very witty in this chapter in particular. Like everything he does, not, not just the things he says, but when Hermione's around, you know, he, he changes his demeanor to be very remorseful <laughs> and down. Oh, he's mm -hmm. definitely putting on a show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of what he, um, when he kind of challenged uh, Xenophilius, do I feel like a lot of that was for Hermione's benefit? Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, you don't really see Ron in the rest of the series uh, as far as when he's face-to-face -face with an adult. You know, you don't really see him challenging much, in, in, you know, other than, you know, the bad guys. But I felt whenever I read this, well, I think it took me like three times before as I, you know, was reading through these series before it kind of clicked that I kind of felt bad for um, Xenophilius during this because 
he's a, obviously he's one of my favorite characters, but he's such a very complex character and he's gone through so much and, you know, to have Ron, you know, kind of get in his face and, and question him and as far as, you know, your first duty is to help Harry and I don't know, I feel like that's kind of hard for Xenophilius, um, you know, he's as, as a father and as a, you know, a husband who's lost his wife and a father who's just lost his daughter, you know, obviously you want to help the good guys who are going to help, you know, the, the to defeat, um, Voldemort, but, um, it, it's a, it's a very different, it's very, very different when you have children in the mix there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can't, as a mom, I with four kids, I can't say that I wouldn't have done the same as an affiliate if, you know, I was told the only way I would get my child back would be to lure the good guys here and then call the bad guys. I would try to think of something clever, you know, in the end, but you know, when it comes to your kids and you know, everything he's already lost and he could have been much less wacky, you know, before he lost his wife, we don't know anything about, you know, who he and his wife were beforehand. If they were always kind of, you know, the, the oddballs, the, the eccentrics, you know, and then when you have someone who is that kind of a, um, an unusual character, and then they are, uh, someone close to them dies in such a horrific way, or even just dies or leaves them in general, completely, it can completely change everything about who you are. And, you know, so we know that Luna has kind of grown with him as being this sort of wacky, unusual guy, and she has taken on a lot of the characteristics, um, and, you know, the extraordinary, the extraordinary about her family. But as far as, you know, him being Ron getting angry at him and, you know, I just, I feel like a lot of that, you know, getting in his face and, and raising his voice was for Hermione's benefit. And then it, but also as a mom, it makes me mad at Ron because, yeah. you know, the trio, they just don't understand, you know, when it comes to your children and then being taken by you know, maniacal people who could very well rip them apart or make, you know, horrible, horrible things that they could do to your kids. You know, that's, that's, that's completely different than, you know, just some rando person with no family and, and no ties, you know, did who, who's, who's not doing the right things here to help, you know, the good guys. It's, you know, there's a lot more that, that there's a lot more to how Xenophilius was, um, trying to come to terms with, uh, you know, his daughter being taken and, um, you know, when the Death Eaters are telling him if, you know, if you want to see her again, you've got to lure, he's got to come here and then you call us and, you know, there's, there's a lot to that and he's not in his, he's not a, I don't want to say he's not, a, he, yeah, he's not in his right mind, you know, during that whole process. So yeah, I feel mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. I, I did want to note that Luna's mother's name is Pandora. So fairly certain that they've always been a little crazy. Yeah, that's my. Uh, you don't have a name like well. Pandora and be like a calm person. I um, completely forgot that her mother's name was Pandora. Yes, that's a perfect name for her mom. I love it. Yeah, it actually <laughs> true. It actually truly truly is. And Tracy actually wrote down a quote here that talks about exactly what you were just sort of mentioning. I don't know. You want to read that, Tracy? Here. Oh, sure. Um, aren't you the one who keeps telling everyone it's their first duty to help Harry, said Ron, in that magazine of yours. Er, yes, I have expressed that view. However, and then Ron says, that's for everyone else to do, not you personally, said Ron. I'm, um, yeah, I just really like that quote. It's, he's 
calling him out on his hypocrisy, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And appropriate. Yeah, I think I think it's it's great. And at this point, Ron doesn't know that Luna's been taken. They think that, that true. she's yeah, down true. by the stream. Um, or this is my... Harvesting plimpies. Yes, fresh plimpies. Which sounds like so much fun, to be honest. <laughs> I want to know what I'd a really love is. to go harvest some plimpies in in the water right now. Are those in Fantastic Beasts and where to find them? <laughs> plimpies? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Oh, failure. But they should be. They should be. I mean, maybe they're floating around when we get that scene in the case in the first film where we're like fly through all the habitats that'd be really cool but i don't think they are yeah sad <laughs> i sort of picture it like a weird tailless fish with really big eyes i don't know i don't know it's weird i think of more like crawfish i think Ooh. oh Ooh. I sort of I, now that i'm like thinking about it it's sort of more like jellyfishy in my mind because the word plimpy I don't know, something about it. I feel like it's named after what it looks like. True. I can see that. Either way, we're so ridiculously off topic here. (laughs) It's in the chapter. That means it is by definition on topic. I mean, I suppose. Yes, I suppose. I don't think they're mentioned anywhere else in the series. So what better time to talk about plimpies than now? (laughs) Than right now. Mm, I suppose you're right. I suppose you're right. What I like about this chapter is that even though it's kind of a middle like filler chapter it's kind of foreshadowing both i think a little bit of what happens like luna's life because mm-hmm. they have this i don't know how to say it this norcak yes snargleuf no, and that's what she ends up looking for most of her life and then they also um kind of foreshadow to the the last the ditem being ravenclaw and all that all, all that stuff there which is kind of cool mm-hmm. um i think in the episode that i was listening the previous episode of this you guys mentioned that there's a lot of foreshadowing to where the dead item is. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to talk about it because I'm going to be recording this book soon and whatever. But the circle <laughs> to this to this chapter is chapter 17, which is Batilda's secret. So hmm. everybody's keeping mm-hmm. secrets. Writing that down. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, I don't remember what happens in that I chapter. imagine it's the one where we find out that she's not herself anymore. Yeah, that definitely happens in that chapter. Which Zeno is not himself in this chapter. Um, Can I just talk about how I love his name? Yes, it is a great like the, name. I just, Joe is just so, I don't know. I She's otherworldly. How she just, when I remember, like, I think it was maybe, maybe the second or the third time reading this book. And this was, you know, years ago. But um, I didn't know what, I was still learning the the implications of a lot of these uh the wizards names and that they had mean like i never put two and two together before about you know remus lupin and it was a long time before that happened in my claire brain but i remember specifically looking up you know xenophilius and then learning uh what a xenophile was and wow how could she you know just putting it i mean i'm i'm writing a novel as well but i'm just not coming together as well as hers she's just man remind us what a xenophile is i don't remember it's it is one who loves um sort of unusual cultures and appreciates the difference in a lot of things um if you think uh there's a lot of people out there who um they accuse a lot of people of having xenophobia which is 
the the fear of anything different or or unusual or new like different cultures mm. um uh one of i come uh, thing comes to mind of is uh, a lot of the the tension between western countries and eastern countries as far as um you know middle eastern countries and a lot of us uh western i say us but i don't mean me I don't count, but a lot of Western people have that sort of xenophobia regarding these, these countries and their customs and the cultures, and they have all these preconceived notions and they're not appreciating the differences. So they are considered, you know, xenophobic. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I read what a xenophile actually is, it just like made me, my heart swell because I was like, wow, I'm a xenophile, just like, just like him and how she just brought his name, his name, I just, I don't know. She's just amazing. The lexicon has it summed up here. It says derived from xenophile, uh, denoting a person who is attracted to something that is foreign or alien and also derived from the Greek root forms of xeno, which means alien, strange, or a guest and philia, which means friendship, fondness, or affection. So nice. Oh, that really perfect. is perfect. There you go. And I don't think I've ever heard somebody talk about Xenophilius uh, as much as you have just right now. And I've definitely never heard somebody say he was one of their favorite characters. So oh, I could uh, go on you're on the right him. episode. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. <laughs> uh, but let's circle back here to the tent before we get into talking about Zeno. Uh, we learn a little bit about uh, the new wand because we see Harry, his wand is broken. Boohoo, his wand is broken. And he has a new wand and he's trying to sort out how to use it. Right. So we learned some things about the wand here as well. Yeah. Um, it's a Blackthorn wand and it's supposed to be loyal and faithful to a servant. Um, it doesn't work because he hasn't won its trust. Right. Does he ever get the wand to work later on? I don't think so. That's one of the wands that was that Ron gave him. Right. Right. Oh, right. From the snatchers. A spare that he got from a snatcher. That's de that definitely that's definitely book canon, not movie canon. Right. That happened. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm pretty sure that was no, was it? Yeah, I I, I thought the Blackthorn one was Draco's. Or is that not no. happened yet? No. Mm -mm. Okay. No, we I'm... haven't we haven't gone to Malfoy Manor yet. Oh, okay, that's right. That's right. Blackthorn is a very very interesting um a very interesting uh wood as well. Um yeah, I don't know if you you know the the fairy tale of Sleeping Beauty and when they are the the witches uh, creating the, the the thorn hedgerow around the entire castle to keep out Prince Charming. That's Blackthorn, and whenever you uh, read old fairy tales or or old kind of uh, Blackthorn was used as a like a, a hedgerow uh, protection, like a like as we use barbed wire now because it was so so thick and hard, and they also used to. Um, they would just plant it all together and they would teach it how to grow together, uh, training it. And so it will, a blackthorn will grow to 
you know, a, a typical large tree type if it's alone, but if it's together with other blackthorns, it typically doesn't become a tree. It stays, uh, they, they grow and they merge into each other, just becoming this huge protective hedgerow barrier. They're really cool. Whoa. I'm sorry. That's my, uh, one of the, the second novel I'm working on is a, it's a nerdy kind of tree fantasy novel thing. That's amazing. It's cool. <laughs> Girl, you're in the right place. This is Nerd City. <laughs> See, I I thought I wasn't nerdy enough. Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> if you think that, no, you you are definitely up there with the nerds. I can tell already. And I'm yes. loving it. <laughs> yes. Achievement unlocked. <laughs> no one can take your nerd card away. Don't let them. Um. But yeah, it is interesting, Tracy, that you had this information from, I'm guessing this used to be on Pottermore, now on Wizarding World, mm -hmm. that it appears to need to pass through danger or hardship with their owners to become truly bonded. Um, but they go through a lot of danger and hardship after this point, but even still, I don't think it ever bonds with Harry. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because it, the part of being loyal, I think maybe it's just loyal to whatever their rightful owner is yeah. part of it well technically so let's refresh how we get the blackthorn one ron steals it from a snatcher mm -hmm. right so it's technically yeah. loyal to ron at the moment true um not harry as well and oh wow it's also if that wand was made for somebody who has a black heart that would never work for somebody like Harry, mm -hmm. who has very different intentions than a Death Eater. So, good point. That's true. You know, and the reason Draco's Hawthorne wand eventually ends up working for Harry is because Draco is actually pure of heart um, and a significantly better person than he has been. Um, he's much more a product of his environment than truly evil at the core. Like you would assume a Death Eater is. That made my little Draco heart smile. You know, because Draco's not a Death Eater by choice. He's a Death Eater by force. So. Right. Pretty much. That's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. There was something else I was going to say about that, I thought, and it flew out of my head. About the wand, about the Hawthorne, about Draco, Death Eaters, pure of heart. Nope. It's gone. It's okay. Okay. Well, if it comes back. You know where to find it. <laughs> ah, just like Ron knew how to find everybody because of the Doominator. Maybe your thoughts will come back. We'll see. I definitely need a like remember all slash Doominator because I still don't think remember alls would do it for me because they don't tell you what you forgot. They just tell you, you forgot. Yeah, something. remember alls are totally useless. They're I, totally useless. But if you could Let's put the real. two together somehow. <laughs> Here's what you see. That's why I think one of the I think we never hear about it in the Wizarding World, but I think like the Remember All is great. That's so fun, yay for Remember All. But I think so many wizards, just kind of like me myself, maybe it's just because I'm a nerd. They can you imagine like they're they're carrying their you know their like their wrapped up leather traveler's notebooks with their bits of parchment paper and important details in them that they've written down because they don't have smartphones to take notes right i can't imagine a really great wonderful wizard walking around with his awesome wand and his id in his back pocket and stuff and not having a notebook like a little field notes in his you know wizard pocket and a 
I don't know, like a, not a quick quote, quilt, quilt, obviously, but some kind of writing instrument there. And so you're thinking, you were talking about how you, you know, need, you need to remember, no, you just need a traveler's notebook and a really good fountain pen. (laughs) (laughs) But it could be just because I'm an analog nerd. My thoughts just flit so quickly from one ear to the other. And although it did come back to me while you were talking. So, hey, maybe I just need you to talk in my ear anytime. (laughs) I forget something. I can do that. You'd, well, I don't know. I've been talking to my husband's ear for 20 some odd years and, you know, it's not, I don't know if it's been too great for him. <laughs> what was your thought, Katie? What came back to you? So it was the fact that Hermione kept telling Harry, oh, you just need to practice more. And I love how this comes back later in the book when she is faced with a wand that's, you know, with Bellatrix's wand, which is not behaving for her. And he holds back saying, oh, you just need to practice more. (laughs) (laughs) So when I read that part, I felt like Harry seems still more mad at Hermione for the wand thing than he is mad at Ron for leaving. Yeah. Because he's really quick to, he's like, I have to stop saying this snarky thing in my head because we want people to be happy. But with Ron, he's just like, I'm so delighted. Life is wonderful. (laughs) You're totally <laughs> well, I mean, a wand is an extension of the person's body. It's almost like Hermione broke his arm. Yeah. True. I mean, I get it. It's just I thought it was interesting. It is a yeah. very good comparison. Yeah. Um, so we also we be, we begin this chapter with the recent knowledge of what one of Dumbledore's willed gifts purposes. Y- yeah, is. you totally missed that transition that I gave you like five minutes ago to go to that point. <laughs> but see, I, I may have I may have got you off topic topic about that. I apologize. <laughs> it's fine. You just started reading. I was like, Katie, I tossed that to you like five minutes ago, but keep going. I completely missed it. Uh, I mean, yes, you did. Good thing we're not playing okay. baseball. The listeners caught it and they're probably like, yeah, that happened. <laughs> that's continued. When I'm Sorry. listening back, I'll be like, oh, that's where she was. Okay, I get it now. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So we've got the Deluminator. Is that when it was when you were talking about the Deluminator? Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So yeah, we, we've got the Deluminator that we've just figured out what its purpose is. And by the end of this chapter, we will have delved into the other two. Um, the book sends them to go see Xenophilius, and then Xenophilius tells them what the, death- the Deathly Hallows are, uh, one of which is in the snitch. So I thought this chapter um, and what just recently happened at the end of the previous one was really interesting, that they they all kind of come to light at the same time, sort of. They don't know that they have this the resurrection stone by this point and they won't for a while but still it's just kind of cool well that was interesting and also was curious if the deluminator had not ended up being useful or if, if they had not figured out what its use was like if ron had never left would hermione have caught on to the deathly hallow symbol in beetle the bard do you think because I feel like the Deluminator working and doing something kind of fast-tracked her to, oh, those things that Dumbledore left us, they actually do have meaning and purpose. So I should look harder at this book again and try to figure out what it is. Do you think there was a moment when Hermione didn't think that they had purpose? Is that what you're saying? Not that it, they didn't have purpose at all, but I feel like she had maybe given up on it a little because, like, why didn't she think of this before 
this point, I guess, is, is what I'm getting at. Like, why now when she's had this book for months? Hmm. That's true. Well, it's possible that she thought of it before now and she's just bringing it up now. True. Um, you know, she has been, there's been a couple of chapters here where she's, she's been going through grief, mm -hmm. you know, with Ron missing and all of that. And they've been just trying to stay, stay on the move, stay out of the Snatcher's hands. So maybe it just hasn't seemed super relevant or important or her mind was elsewhere. You know, for all we know, she put the book down for a while and wasn't looking at it. Mm -hmm. You'll have to excuse me. I haven't read this book in a really long time, so I don't remember if the narration says that she continues to read it all the time. But I would assume that she has days probably where she just is grieving and tries not to, you know. Doesn't doesn't Harry walk into the tent at one point and, like, her back is to the room and she's just laying in bed, like, with the covers over her? Am I making that up? No, I think doesn't you're that right. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, there's also a possibility yeah. too that um, she's reading the book, but and trying to figure things out. But you know, when when you've got so much going on in your head, it's almost there is a uh, like a cloud or or a veil that's over your eyes, and you can read the same thing twenty times, and it's still not sinking in, and there's no connections being made. Um, so she's most likely. I mean, there really isn't all that much that she can do. Uh, there while they're there so I'm sure she's probably reading it it's just the connections aren't firing in the, yeah, the, the the synapses aren't coming together there but then you know once the once he comes back then you know, the veil is lifted and so the connections are starting to come back and the cylinders are starting to fire again they also just had the whole experience at Godric's Hollow so she's probably True. picking up on all the things that they learned while they were there and re-examining the book as one does when they learn new information right. about something. So God. it's probably a bit of a combination. I didn't think about how close together this is to the Godric's Hollow thing. Oh, my God. Because that was like... This is also... This is almost the middle of the book. Yeah. And this yeah. is what December 28th, I think we said, mm -hmm. is when this chapter happens. So... Yeah, it's only been four days. Uh, um, I feel bad that he keeps, they keep promising Harry it's not going to end up as bad as Gradric Hollow, and it does. Yeah. It, it does. It, it kind of does. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoops. <laughs> One thing that bothers me is that all this reading and, and extra research and whatnot she's doing, however, she's not writing anything in the margins. She doesn't do, I mean, she doesn't have any ink. She doesn't have a quill. There's no pencil. How is she keeping it all together? Because I couldn't do that. Wait, how do we know that? I'm saying we don't know it because they don't say it. That bothers me. They don't go to the bathroom either, but we know that they do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying there's no way Hermione is not taking notes. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't count that out. Yeah. <laughs> I would have liked for Joe to, to specify that, though, because as a, a kind of a person and a nerdy writer myself i would have wanted to know like what kind of quill she was using or if she was using a quill that you know had already like that took cartridges of ink rather than having to dip into you know the the bottle and <laughs> i know that's so stupid but those are the things my brain does i love it does she have blotting paper maybe she was using a fountain pen did they have pencils i don't know she didn't tell me <laughs> 
I also wanted to bring up, because, um, you know, Ron describes where he's been because Hermione assumed he had just gone home to the borough to be with his family. And he's like, are you kidding? They would have, like, disowned me for leaving you guys. I haven't been Rightfully at so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I haven't been at home being pampered by mummy. Um, he went to his brother Bill and Fleur's house on, and I just forgot, the Shell Cottage. There we go. He went to Shell Cottage. And which is the first time we are hearing about this place. And I, I'm i glad that Bill was, you know, decent to Ron, as Ron describes it. Um, and I would expect that from an older brother, especially one that has been out in the world for a few years now. He's mature. He's, he's married. Um, he's got, you know, more responsibility and people counting on him than he has ever before. And he is probably able to see past what Ron did and understand like there were some crazy high emotions running throughout all of this. And yeah, it was a jerk move, but I'm not going to disown you for it. Um, Yes, you can come stay with us. But at the same time, although he doesn't say this, um, I kind of wonder if Bill wasn't really thrilled to spend his first married Christmas hosting his runaway brother. (laughs) (laughs) Like, a lot of couples do like to spend their first Christmas, just the two of them, (laughs) and they had a third wheel. (laughs) And I thought it was interesting that Ron kept trying to, it almost seemed like he was going on his way to make, he kept saying, oh, Bill, uh, Bill's always been decent to me. I was kind of like, would he not be decent to you? And it made me wonder how Percy, for some reason, would have responded to knowing what he did, because he mentioned Bill, George, Fred, and Ginny's responses, but... I don't know, I'm curious how Piercy would have responded to knowing that he left them. Oh, God. He probably would be mortified to go to Percy because then the ministry would know. And yeah, Percy's still with the ministry at this point. Oh, yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. Well, that would have been a really bad move. Yeah. Bad PR. Would Percy yeah. have Would Percy have outed him, though? Yes. I mean, <laughs> really? I think so. I mean, I, mean, I don't think point, we, man. I don't even think we have to pontificate what would happen because Ron would never go to Percy. That's true. He has <laughs> many other people that he would no, go to mean, before Percy. Yeah. But what if Percy found out what he did? Like say he told the the twins and the twins told Percy. They would never. No? I don't think well, so. I guess, yeah, I guess at this point in the book, yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. That's We're true. still not on speaking terms. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, I'm glad that Floor didn't seem too put out. And I love the line about, you know, she hates Celestina Warback anyway. So (laughs) she was spared the concert (laughs) this year. She was indeed. Hey, I love Celestina Warback. So hook me up. Just saying. Back to Celestina. Me up. Her Accio Christmas song. I don't even know if it's really canon because they wrote it for the theme park. It's amazing. So if you've never heard Accio Christmas, Patrick, put in a clip, okay? Yeah. So people can hear it. It's amazing. Mm, good, good. Put call. in a little clip.
it'll be stuck in your head forever quicker than I won an acromantula for Christmas. Oh, that's what I need. That's a parody video that we did a couple years ago on MuggleNet. We just reposted it on our social if you go looking for it, but it's incredible. I want an acromantula for Christmas. Only an acromantula will do. It is Madison, who's the host of Beyond the Veil podcast, uh, she wrote it and performed it. So all the props, giving talented, talented lady. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I noticed a few pass around moments. They mentioned the spider. They mentioned the chess. And I'm wondering if it's kind of getting the reader while they're listening to remember all the good Ron stuff to get us to forgive him too. Now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, that's sweet. I like that. I had never considered that, but that's a really good catch. Yeah, I, I like that interpretation a lot. Yeah, I never thought of that. Definitely sweet. worked on me. <laughs> Same. Well, that's good. Intention then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other than him, like trying to butter up Hermione from time to time. I mean, I mean, he needed to. He deserves to be kissing her feet for the rest of his life um or at least for a good year or two but apart from some of the silliness with that like you know let's take a vote and then he raises his hand because he knows it's something (laughs) she wants to do is just hysterical um but yeah that that part was just kind of silly but the rest of it yeah he does so much to to make me love him again in this chapter not that i ever really stopped but Sure. I was a little disappointed when he ran off. Yeah, I guess disappointed. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. But I also thought it was really impressive when they are going up to the Lovegood's house that there's a quote, uh, Harry thought he recognized a snargaluff and gave the wizened stump a wide berth. And so many people like to hate on my boy Harry and tell me that he's stupid <laughs> and he doesn't remember or he doesn't pay attention in class or he doesn't read his books. Well, here's proof right in front of your face see my boy does pay attention in class when he has decent teachers <laughs> say that word i just highlighted again i said wizened is it not supposed to be said that way it, uh, it i think it's wizened you're right yeah. now that i say it again you're totally right sorry i i, I you just said it and i quote i sort of smiled to myself and so just wanted to bring it up <laughs> thank also, you also because i think it's meant to imply that like wizened, meaning it's like a magical stump. Ooh. Because saying wizened means, would mean maybe that it's old. Well, I think it's both because a snargaluff is an old stump. That's like, well, that's what they look like anyway. Um, I looked them back up because I couldn't remember what a snargaluff was. And yeah, they just <laughs> look like old stumps if you don't know any better. But if you get close to one and touch it, it will attack you. So, Rude. yeah these tentacles come out and get you um because in her herbology they had to get snargaloff pods out of a snargaloff and then juice the pods we never find out what they use the juice for but yeah it's a thing um interesting well i like that you pointed that out because harry's my favorite character so i'm all, I'm all here for it see i'm giving you a cyber high five right now <laughs> likewise <laughs> 
And also, who can read the scene about the arumpent horn now without immediately thinking of the hilarious arumpent scene in the first Fantastic Beasts film? Oh, I love it. I bet Irvin can. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't. I love I love the arumpent and that whole scene in the first film is incredible. It I love is. it so much. It is, yeah. And I never I think I guess this is maybe one of my first rereadings of this book since well surely not. No, I've read this book since seeing that film. Cause that was gosh, like four years ago now, wasn't it? Two thousand sixteen, yeah. Oh wow. Jeez. Well, for some reason this time it really stuck out. And maybe it was just because I was concentrating on just this chapter and not continuing on through to the next um I was just like, oh, right, the arumpet horn. Oh, the arumpet. The arumpet dance. The whole thing. Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) It made me miss the cast of Fantastic Beasts, even if the second film wasn't my favorite. I'm hoping that something can still be salvaged uh, from from that franchise. We will see. We certainly all have our fingers crossed. I do anyway. So do I. Definitely. But yeah, there's the rumpet horn, and then there's the mock-up of Rowena Ravenclaw's diadem. Though he doesn't, at least in this chapter, maybe it's in the next one, but in this chapter he doesn't call it the diadem. He just calls it, like, Mm. the headdress of something. Yeah, because Harry doesn't know what it is, so. Right. I feel like at some point Xenophilius went more in-depth on why he was recreating it or what he was recreating or maybe i just read that part too fast in this chapter that's also possible no no it's it's in another chapter it's not okay i was like did i miss that i know he does it at some point yeah it must be the next chapter but i love that we see that because yeah it's just another so we've got hallows being revealed in this chapter and then yeah something that's going to help them find a horcrux later on love that um i also noticed apart from the diadem that there was an eagle door knocker on the front door so i'm curious now if both of luna's parents were in ravenclaw house we don't actually know i looked it up we don't actually know okay which is a bummer it just i mean it could just be really nice to know luna is so they put it up for her but since it does tend to run in families and her fam- her parents seem to be very much like her, it wouldn't surprise me if they had also been in Ravenclaw. I want to know, like, I want to, I want to read backstory fan fiction on, um, like, did they, did they go to school together? Did they, you know, were they like, yeah. were they like, um, Harry's parents, like Lily and James? Did they, you know, do, you know, crazy little uh magical experiments together were they hippies or well you know as far as hippie-ish they could be in the magical community Mm -hmm. you know i want to know these things that made xenophilius and pandora tick so that you know to learn more about them he's just such Mm a such an interesting guy agreed i take it you're a huge luna fan like i am me too i am i like luna a whole bunch but I think I'm probably more of a fan of her dad. It could be. I don't know. I have dad issues. Could be that. Okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, whatever. Never <laughs> float your boat. No, I'm just kidding. No, I am a huge fan of Luna. I think I have been since since I, we first read or we first meet her in the books. I felt very connected to Luna. 
She's great. Aww. But then, you know, Luna became super popular and everybody loved Luna. I was like, well, maybe I don't love Luna as much as I thought I did. But... <laughs> She's popular now. I can't like her anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. <laughs> no, but I think I love, I love Luna. And then that makes me kind of love her dad's character even more. And, you know, because she's just essentially she's, she's, you know, the, she's her dad, you know, in, in female form. She's her dad and her mom. And it just makes me wonder, you know, so much. I would love to, to just know everything about, they, they could, they could just be a whole series of, you know, let's learn about Luna's life and her dad and her mom and, you know, forget Harry. Let's, let's have, you know, Luna's life and the dirigible plums and yeah. All that good stuff. Yep. I caught this time when they were going to the front door, they noticed there was an owl sitting in the, in the tree. And then later on, Harry notices a bird kind of out of the corner of his eye fly by the window. Do you guys think it's that owl that is going to... Yep. That's the one that... Okay. That's what I was thinking that goes to warn the Death Eaters or whoever. Mm-hmm. Or not warn them, but notify them. Yeah, it definitely is. Definitely is. That's a pretty darn well-trained owl. Like, how do you train an owl to, when you see this person show up, fly away and do a thing? <laughs> like, without a note on it. Well, doesn't play. he leave the room for a few minutes to... Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, for the tea. You're right. He goes out to see where Luna is, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Yep. You, you nailed it. I missed that completely. <laughs> But yeah, it's mostly just Xenophilius, like, being super awkward and covering things up, like putting a big sheet or something over the printing press, which barely makes it less noisy. <laughs> but it, we find out later why he was covering it up, because of what it is printing. But yeah, he's he made some, what's the kind of tea he makes? Gertie Root? Oh, um... Yeah, and it's really bad. Yes. Yeah, Gilly Root. Pick your own mistletoe. I forgot about that. <laughs> Too cute. I love that Ron line. <laughs> After they look at the headdress thing. Fetching, said Ron. Surprised he didn't wear that to the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ron. All you have to do to get back into my heart is to say things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's an infusion of Gertie Roots. Same difference. It's tea, yeah. But, but I thought it was weird that it was deeply purple, like beetroot juice is how they, what they compared it to. Because when I think of roots, I typically think of like ginger. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have much color to it. Although are beets roots? What are, what are beets? Are they tubers? Probably. So maybe there's a... I don't know. I don't know what the line is between roots and tubers. Like, when does one become another? I have no idea. No clue there. So somebody, one of our herbologist listeners, uh, please let us know the difference between roots and tubers and where the line is drawn. Because I would be really interested in that. That's that's some weird thing that like I've, I've just written that down. And now after this is over, I'm going to go look that up and then have that in my you know my my file folder in my head 
Yeah. That's the that's the stuff that takes up space in my in my hard drive in my head. It couldn't be my multiplication tables. No, it's got to be, you know, boobo tubers pus and and what that's <laughs> used for and now Gertie root and is it a tuber? What's a blimpy? What does it look like? Yeah, that's yep. that's what's going to happen here. So that's that's the takeaway from this chapter. We need to know what these things look like, what they are. <laughs> and Ron is great. And so is Anophilius. <laughs> Even if he's not in <laughs> his best form, shall we say, in this chapter. Oh, no. We know why. Yeah. I'm sitting here looking again when they're talking at the very end. And he's um, kind of like showing everything around and he's pointing to uh, the Raxbert siphons. And I just realized how amazingly intelligent that is. Like, oh, yeah. Wow. That's like the, the, wow. I know that's so stupid to be like, wow, Raxbert siphon. And here I am. I'm, I'm not a wizard, but wow, can you get one of those? What does it look like? How does it siphon? Where do they go once it's been siphoned? Yeah, what happens? They're like a bag. Do they sit in the bag? Can they filter through it? Do they die? Do experts have a lifespan? Those are the things. <laughs> Claire, you have become Luna in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a compliment. 100% a compliment. Thank you. I have notebooks on top of notebooks that are full of these ridiculous things that these tangents that my mind goes off on and... Like I, and I keep them with me all the time, my, my notebooks. And these are the things, literally the things that I write down. You should see the amount of notes that I've taken just from the, uh, us, us sitting here and, and talking about all this. And now I've just written in the, you know, written some marginalia in my book here about learning about wax, wax spurts and now all these questions that I have about them. Where's a sticky note? <laughs> One thing I'm wondering now is... I wonder why the Weasleys and the Lovegoods aren't as don't seem to interact that much with each other, considering they live relatively close to each other. Yeah, I've wondered that in the past myself. Well, being being someone who's incredibly awkward myself, um, interacting with other people who are normal is is very it's a very anxiety. It, it, it's something that produces creates a lot of anxiety in me because I. I'm very comfortable being myself when I'm by myself, but when I have to be normal around other people, um, I can, it just makes me even worse. Like I can't even imagine poor Xenophilius and Luna trying to be like normal other, you know, neurotypical wizards. And yeah, they just probably, they, they don't even want the hassle of that. It, yeah. And then of course the Molly is, you know, well, we're just going to leave them alone. Just don't, don't irritate them. We'll, you smile and wave, walk away. <laughs> At least they do get invited <laughs> to the wedding. That's, that's nice. That's that true. was very yeah. nice of her, but that's the kind of people like I am. Like I'm a smile and wave neighbor, but, and we've lived in this house on this military post for six years and I still don't know my neighbors, <laughs> but you know, I know they're dogs. Yes. That's the important part. <laughs> that is the important part. 100%. <laughs> I'm with you there. But also, I'm, all of a sudden, I'm thinking of Fred and George hanging out with the love goods, and I think that would be fun. Oh my gosh. If they could, like, not make fun of the love goods, but have fun with them. 
I think that could be a, a fun relationship. But yeah, the other Weasleys, probably not so much. That would have been amazing. Well, aren't Judy and Luna kind of close too, if I'm remembering correctly? Oh, right. Of mm-hmm. course. Duh. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> My brain is short circuiting. It's too close to Christmas, y'all. Like, so many <laughs> right. crazy things are happening. Um, oh, you said the word. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. The C word. <laughs> <laughs> but yes so jenny and and but then again jenny is most like fred and george oh true yeah so kind of still supports the theory now i want fred and george to be friends with the love goods <laughs> well <laughs> me too george anyway because fred's not around i can just imagine them out there playing playing um quidditch with a uh, xenophilius and you know, him flying around and maybe just his, you know, he's got wearing bloomers and a long <laughs> caftan and, you know, purple socks and, you know, yeah, the wind just blowing through his hair. And then he's distracted because he's seen something fly up from the, you know, the hills. And then, you know, that just, I could just, ah, oh, man, that's, that's my life right there. That's where I belong. <laughs> Like I, I can't even finish the, the, the statement because the 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 happiness of it kind of like melts in my brain and makes me have the dumb. <laughs> You're awesome, Clara. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Thank you. <laughs> well, I suppose I should take this opportunity to thank you, Claire, for being with us for this episode. This has been so much fun, and you've made it so much more interesting with your oh, unique thank you so much. viewpoint on things. I appreciate it very much. I'm so glad to, like, I'm nerding out completely about this. I'm so excited still. This is like, definitely going in my journal. <laughs> and we're happy to have you. <laughs> And hopefully um, our next episode is going to be about memories and the pensive. Indeed. I need one of those. Same. <laughs> Hard <too>. same. <laughs> is a pensive, I know it's uh, used for holding um, extra memories that you kind of like don't really want to hold on to in your brain. So it's not like your pensive wouldn't be um, your to-do list, right? You know, right. wizards, of course, having to-do lists and, oh, I need to remember to do this, I remember to do that. It's specifically uh, maybe, like, uh, memories that are... Is it specifically for memories that are painful or is it um, for memories that are just too emotional to keep inside? And once you take it out of your brain and put it in the pensive, do you forget about it or how does that work? You'll have to tune in to our next episode. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Yeah, we'll find out on the next episode. <laughs> and if anyone out there listening wants to be on that episode, you can head over to alohomorapodcast.com. And if you choose be on the show at the top, follow the instructions, send us an audition, and you might just be the guest host on that episode. And really, all you need is a microphone and a pair of headphones. If you're chosen to guest host, we'll walk you through the rest. We promise. It's easy peasy. But while you're on the website... Definitely also check out the topic submit page and tell us what you'd like us to talk about on future episodes. So if you have a favorite chapter or a favorite topic, something we haven't already discussed, shoot it over to us. We'll add it to the list and you just might hear it uh, in 2021 on Alohomora, which is exciting. It, it Good times. Is. And if you would like to contact us, there are several ways to do that. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Alohomora MN. 
facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore. Our website is alohomorapodcast.com. That's where you can go to comment on all of these wonderful episodes. We are on YouTube at youtube.com slash alohomoramn. We have Spotify playlists that break up our episodes into topics and chapter revisits and the old original chapter read-throughs, etc. Um, specials, interviews, that kind of thing. So check those out if you haven't. Um, and you can just search for Alohomora MN on Spotify to find those. And if you just look up Alohomora, the podcast, you will find all of our episodes there as well. So you don't have to rely on just the on the playlists. And you can also email us at alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to um, be awesome like Janine Lang and sponsor this episode, go to patreon.com slash alohomora and sponsor us for as low as a dollar a month. You can find fun stuff like Kat mentioned it, The Full Circle, which is a whole new other podcasts and mini for you just the patreons you could also listen to the episodes that are um about me and the host you can i think the last one was about sam and aurelia mm-hmm. and you also get early access episodes so it's definitely worth worth the time we also have dumbler's office which is a facebook group that has fun memes and discussion and everything there patreon.com slash alohomora it was a really great episode thanks for listening and join us again next time i'm tracy and i'm kat and i'm katie Thank you for listening to episode 312 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. Alohomora is produced by Katie Carty Hiley and edited by Patrick Musleck. It was co created by Noah Freed and Kat Miller and is brought to you in partnership with MuggleNet.com. Do I have to do something crazy? I don't, right? I can just say it. You can just say it. Yeah. Great. It's been a long time since I've said this. A long time. This is why I made you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. Okay. Open the Dumbledore. Yay. People miss hearing you say it, so... Do they? I don't know. I'm sure. I feel like they're sick of me. The people who listen to Full Circle are like, oh my gosh, put somebody else on the airwaves. No. No, no, no. no, no, no. So not true. Nope. Not true. I missed you saying open the double door. (laughs) I've opened it now. It's, you know, flooded through me. I'm having so much fun. I've had so much fun with you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for walking me through all the important, you know, mechanical, technological thingies. You know, wax spurts in my head. And I should have been wearing my wax. My, I have a, like a cap that I'm known for wearing. And I call it my cap of power. And I should have been wearing it. I That's the that. problem here. <laughs> yep. It keeps all the thoughts in and not it does. flying out. That's fantastic. I need one of those myself. Yep. I'm going to, I'm going to send you, or I'm going to send you a link and put it in the Dumbledore's office and, uh, show you I'm all about traveler's notebooks and how to keep your thoughts from like running away. It's like a, a big net and it's for catching the wax spurt because sometimes there's really good wax spurts. You want to write them down and I'm going to send it to you that way. Yeah. Cause it changed your life. Excellent. I look forward to this. <laughs> Sorry, Patrick. I'm definitely eating lunch. <laughs> Sorry.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.